This episode is brought to you by the crime thriller The Signatory by Stuart Black. Stuart Black weaves a gripping narrative that explores the lengths to which people will go to protect their fortune and the high-stakes world of corporate crime that is most often hidden from view. Head to stuartblack.com.au and grab your copy. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny V. From all of us in the writing community, we just think we're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been living with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm uh, feeling sick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I welcome Catherine Kovacic back to the Words and Nerds podcast. Catherine is the author of The Portrait of Molly Dean, the Alex Clayton series, Painting in the Shadows, The Shifting Landscape, and The Schoolgirl Strangler. And today, we're going to talk about Seven Sisters. Welcome back. Thank you, Danny. Great to be here. It's great to have you back. And as I was reading all of those books, I'm like, oh, yeah, we talked about so many of those. I actually remember our first conversation um, about The Portrait of Molly Dean. I loved yeah. that book so much. Gosh, it's a few years ago now, isn't it? It's kind of <laughs> losing track of it. It is, it is. Now, the new one, Seven Sisters, you know, definitely sort of a theme close to my heart. To give me an elevator pitch about this book. Okay, a group of women meet at a therapy session. Each one of them has lost a sister due to domestic violence, and in each case, the perpetrator was never really brought to true justice. So these women are not only grieving, they're very angry, and they have a bit of an unconventional therapist. And uh, in one of their sessions, they come up with a plan to redress the balance by uh, taking out the original perpetrators in a series of hits where each woman exchanges the hit so that the person connected to the case has a rock solid alibi mm. and the woman carrying out the, I don't want to call it a crime, we'll call it a hit again, um, has absolutely nothing to do with the person she's targeting. Mm. And then we're away. Yeah, absolutely. And when I read this novel, I was like, why hasn't this been written before? You know, like, I feel like I'm really passionate about, you know, issues when they come to women about making sure feminism is always part of the narrative and, you know, calling out particularly the terrible stats in our country alone of, you know, one woman dying at the hand of their partner a week, like it's extraordinary. It absolutely is. And, and actually domestic violence is the biggest threat to health for women aged between 25 and 44 in Australia. It's worse than heart disease, worse than diabetes. That's the biggest danger to women. Mm, absolutely. And I read something the other day too that said, you know, every woman you know has felt unsafe, has run to the car, has held her keys in the hand, has felt like mm -hmm. she's being followed every single woman and so i think separate from this book it's really important to have conversations about these things i mean i know you've turned it into this brilliant crime novel but i mean underneath that is all those issues all those societal issues that are so important to keep on our agenda yeah i think that's really interesting if you you know if you're with a group of friends in the pub and you say oh what do you do when you're walking back to the car the guys will be like 
and walk back to the car. And then when we do like, I have my kids in my hand and I don't walk past white or like vans that are parked on the road. Sometimes I walk down the middle of the road and, you know, and I do this and I, sometimes I'm on a call so that I'm talking mm-hmm. to someone. And, and even the hair in the ponytail, right? You know, yep. put your hair in a ponytail, like all these things that we're taught from a very young age. That's right. And I think when I was writing this, you know, I started to think about women that I'd worked with in the past and suddenly I thought, oh, oh, that was what was going on there, you know, and because they're trying to hide it, you know, it's, 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 there's a stigma attached to it. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, and, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I think, oh, that woman that I was working with in my first job, that's what was going on there. Um, a kid I went to school with, I think of her mother now and I think, oh, what's going on there too? Mm, yeah. And it's extraordinary, like you talk about the shame attached to it. And it was really this brilliant TED talk that I watched one day that said she didn't feel like she was a victim of domestic violence. She just felt like she had fallen in love with a broken man. Mm-hmm. And so when you flip that narrative over, it really you know, changed the situation in her head. Obviously, you know, her life was in danger in the end and she managed to escape, thankfully. But it's very interesting that because there is that sense of shame attached to it, we can flip the narrative over. Yeah, and I think the perpetrators are very good at playing mm, on that, you know. Absolutely. Um, the, the love bombing from the start that sort of lures lures you in yep. so that you're feeling special, you're feeling like the centre of the universe, and then just that chipping away at your psyche and demoralising you so that the first thing is, well, you know, I, I've, I've done something wrong. You know, there's that stage of the relationship when you're getting to know each other where you find those little irritating things and you think, well, I, you know, I'll, I'll back off on that because, you know, maybe I am a little bit too too bossy in that regard or something like that. And it just chips away and then suddenly you find yourself in the middle of it and yeah. then where, where do you go from there? Yeah, and hard, hard to escape and for some women impossible to escape, yeah. you know, because of financial or family, um, you know, circumstances. So it is something that's very, you know, close to my heart and something that I want to keep um, talking about because I think that's the only way that right. we, we get to a point of yeah. change. Back to the book though, Catherine, <laughs> <laughs> although I'm sure we'll explore all these things as we go through. Absolutely. But as we were talking about, you know, the commentary behind it, was this part of what influenced you to write this particular story? Yeah, I think so. Um, I had a short story a while ago that sort of fed into this. But it's, I mean, your words and it's, it's very much the words. And I think what really finally spurred me on was all those sort of softened headlines, you know, where mm. the woman's taken out of it, where it just becomes, it's a, you know, it's the assault case or the, you know, the, the fire, you know, the house fire or whatever. And also particularly where the male in question has some sort of persona, whether they're a sports person or a celebrity or something like that. And so we get this, it's, it's all, you know, the, the tragedy of, of him and, you know, he's won this medal and he's won that medal and, you know, and we see this time again. And, and, and then when you get to the judicial system and it's like, well, oh, he suffered enough because it's been in the public eye and he's been, you know, and all those little things that I just think, oh, why you know why is this sort of still happening that that we we soften it in the media and and that's I mean that's really a first step we have to look at it full on and not sort of you know dance around these issues absolutely and I think that there's this great um thing on Instagram where they do they correct the headlines I'm sure you've seen it and they make the corrections of and the difference between the two is just incredible and you think wow what what a manipulation of um of the media and that's it. And I think the first time you look at those, 
you realise how how it has just slid past you when those headlines appear, how you, mm-hmm. you don't know. It was sort of touched on in the beginning, the moral ambiguity of the book. You know, you were saying, oh, the hit rather than the crime. And I love this about crime novels, but this one particularly, tell me about how you explored that. That was that was a lot of fun to explore. So yeah, the I mean it's it's the subtle difference between murder and homicide, isn't it? Um, I guess it's justice. What what is real justice? And what you know, how far would you be prepared to go to not just avenge a loved one, but to keep loved ones safe? Because we keep going dark with this, but these perpetrators don't just stop at one woman. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's going to be a woman after that, and that's happened with you know women I've spoken to. They said, well, I've gotten out, but I feel really guilty because. You know, what's going to happen next. So that was part of what I really wanted to do with the book was to explore that and kind of mess with the reader's heads too. You know, and you did. You did. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And in, um, in what way did you want to mess with their head? Did you want to sort of think about what would you do in that situation? How do you think about justice and law? Because justice and the law are different things, right? Very much so. Um, so, yes, messing with that idea of, of what is real justice because, as I said, the perp- the original male perpetrators in this essentially got away with it, a a very short sentence or no sentence at all. So what is justice for the victims and the families of the victims in that situation? Um, If, you know, we don't talk about vigilantism, but how far would you be prepared to go and could you do it and get away with it too Mm. is the other thing. And Mm. that was the thing, you know, these women are, to all intents and purposes, ordinary women and so there's no sort of, you know, wicked ninja skills or anything going on here. It's, you know, actual, actual perhaps I shouldn't say that, um, feasible ways of killing people when, you know, you don't have that that big sort of, you know, uh, SAS sniper skill set or something mm. like that. As well as that, I think some of the moral ambiguity comes from if you murder someone out of anger or grief, you know, I'm not saying it's always justified, but there's that anger and grief behind it. But with these women, they're not actually murdering the perpetrator that murdered their sister, you know, so it's a bit different as well. Very true, very true. And I think that that's part of what makes it, I think, ex, extra juicy. And for the, mm. the, the, the characters too, you know, because they're thinking about what they're doing, but they're also thinking about their own sisters at the same time and that, that sort of, but it doesn't make it harder if, if it's not that person, you know, that you can really direct your anger at or can you project mm. that onto someone else knowing that it's it's going to come around full circle in that way. Mm. I am interested in the number seven. So seven sisters, there's a lot of characters to have in a book. So tell me yes. about that. Well, that was kind of the, the extra thing for this because it's the inspiration for that was actually the, um, the star cluster, the Pleiades, which is known as the seven sisters. Yep. And um, I was researching for a completely different project and so I was researching ancient mythology about constellations, as one does. And um, and so the story about the Seven Sisters is that um, they were trying to escape the, well, we'll call it unwanted attentions of the giant Orion, but he was trying to rape and murder them, essentially. And to keep them safe, I'm doing air quotes, sorry, they shouldn't do that on a podcast, uh, to, keep, <laughs> to keep them safe, um, the god Zeus turned them into stars. So he essentially killed them to keep them safe. Um, But, of course, Orion was also turned into stars, and so he continues to pursue them across the heavens for all eternity. And that was very depressing. And then I found out that this story is actually about 100,000 years old. It actually predates the Greek myth and goes right back so that it occurs across multiple different cultures. And so incredibly depressing to think that 100,000 years later nothing has changed. Mm. And 
then I was sort of still delving into this. And on the astronomy side of things, the interesting thing is, this is a bit of a sidebar, this, the interesting thing is that, first of all, we talk about the seven sisters, but you can only see six because 100,000 years ago you could see seven, but now you can see six. And the myths have adapted to that by saying the seventh woman, she's already dead or she's actually so terrified she's hiding. But also this little star cluster that we see, um, there's actually about 800 plus stars behind it. So there's this whole hidden number of victims, if you like, that mm. these these this little group is representing. And if you actually look up at the sky, it's very easy to see which way the big giant man is facing with his, you know, weaponry. He's definitely chasing them. But that little group is just there and you can't, they don't look like they're running away. And that, so I thought, well, here's this little group of women representing all those other women. And they've decided that they're going to stop right where they are and they're not going to run anymore and they're going to turn around and fight back. So it's a very obscure thing to come around to that seven sisters, but it felt like the right number because it gave me the hidden sister, which is sort of our therapist, mm -hmm. um, and that a nice little number of people to exchange murders because, you know, just two two is a bit. You know, two though? wouldn't two work, people. would it? Two wouldn't work. Two no. wouldn't work. So, <laughs> so it all just kind of, yeah, it just gelled nicely in my head. It's an incredible story. It's an incredible story because you're right, it was so long ago and it is fairly depressing that we've only made small little changes yeah. in that amount of time. But there's so much power in it too, you know, that they had stopped and they decided to fight back yeah. and we're still fighting now. And I hope we're not fighting for too much longer, but I have a feeling we might be. Yeah. <laughs> Bad but true, yeah. Mm. Now, you've not only written fictional crime, you've also written non-fictional crime. So the school girl strangler actually gave me nightmares. So thank you for that. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> you're not, you're not sorry at all. You're not. <laughs> rubbing he, your hands together he's very he's a very creepy man i have to say he's very creepy indeed. it's funny i can do fictional crime and i love it and i eat it up real crime i struggle with because it actually mm. very much terrifies yeah. me yeah well look, i found that writing it it was a lot it was a lot harder mm, it sits in my yeah, yeah i think it sits in my head whereas crime i can crime fiction i go oh you that's know right. it's, yeah. it's just made up and it's compelling and it's fun and there's a puzzle to solve and you know you usually get a satisfying ending i think yes. i think that's where the security comes from in crime even though the ending can still be ambiguous you you know there's going to be some sort of satisfying resolution whereas in real life crime that's never guaranteed that's true that's true i think that's, that's very difficult to you know, and, and I think particularly some of those true crimes where the, they're unsolved and you mm. said, there's so much there for it. So. Yeah, and you think, how? How can it be mm. unsolved? Yeah. All the technology these days. That's I don't funny. even know how you commit a crime now with phones and CCTV and DNA. <laughs> like, how do you even commit a crime now? <laughs> yeah, well, see, that was that was some of the some of the um, the techniques. The, the yeah. you know, like I thought, oh, we can't do that because it's going to leave DNA or it's going to leave too much <laughs> evidence. So how are we gonna do this <laughs> so your book's actually seven different tips <laughs> on how to get away yes. with murder okay. yes well I, I had like an interesting meeting with, the, with my publisher sort of at about the the halfway mark which is like oh that one towards the end I, I don't think we can do that because you know there's like there's a chance that the general public could be interested so uh, injured so can can we like I'm really sorry because I really like that method but can we take it out it's like that's okay I've got plenty more <laughs> Wow. We'll have to talk off air about this. Yeah, she kind, she kind of gave me this worried side eye at that point. It's like eased away in her chair. Don't mess so with Catherine. That's, that's the message cool. we're getting across today. <laughs> so what is it about crime, 
fiction, non-fiction crime that really compels you to research and write about it because it's, you know, something you're obviously compelled to write about. Yeah, in the non-fiction, I think it's it's the victims, you know, when you, you come across those stories and like with the schoolgirl strangler, you know, they were they were all young girls. The oldest was 16, the youngest mm. was six. Ouch. And um and I think particularly, you know, one of them was still in an unmarked grave. And so I just thought, and it was such a, such a major story and it had just disappeared. So I really wanted to bring that back. And as a result of that, that little girl has got her grave marker. Some of her, the sort of the the cousin line from that family Mm. um, got in touch with me and asked me and and we sorted out to give them control of the grave. And and so she's been identified now. And that, that just, that, so that, that's what makes me want to research and do things like that yeah Yeah, but still even as you're talking about I was just getting shivers up my spine and up my arms as you were talking about that real crime I just can't do it I can't do it (laughs) (laughs) but I mean that was also it was an interesting exercise into like looking historically at a a serial killer and that that mindset because Mm -hmm. I mean we're talking about love bombing and the way you know emotion and people can portray themselves and this guy you know I read an interview with one of the detectives who'd handled the case on, on the detective's retirement. So this was like, you know, 30 years later. And they asked him about that case. And he was like, oh, he was such a nice guy. You know, when I sat there in prison chatting to him, he was just so personable. And and I just thought, yeah, that, so that's that's the nugget. That's the mm, psychopath nugget right, right there. Um, but that was, you know, that 1950s so when the detective was saying this, so that was way before mm. they knew about serial killers. It's because you're nice in one conversation. It doesn't mean you're not capable of horrendous yeah. things. That's right. That's right, yeah. Oh, wow. So there's so many things that's going through my brain right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, think, I think I got that. So I know, you know, we've sort of touched on what compels you to write about it, but, you know, crime, as we know, crime fiction and real-life crime mm-hmm. is just just so popular at the moment with readers and viewers and consumers. What do you think it is that resonates with readers? And, you know, there's all this true crime stuff on on all our streaming platforms. Why does it resonate with consumers, do you think? I think there's a there's the element of can we solve this together now? I think that that's a huge thing. Um, you know, we look at the the Frankston murders in, in Melbourne at the moment with, with Vicky Petratus and her podcast um, and keeping people in jail when they should be in jail is another yeah. thing so that aspect of it um and you know as we know um the, t- the teacher's pet you know that wouldn't have, that justice would not have happened there if it wasn't for that podcast yeah, I mean there incredible. was stuff there was a lot of stuff going on in the background with the police case but I think that that publicity mm, really pushed incredible. things along and and yeah got that happening so there's the element of solving things um I think there's there's the element of you know we were talking about real victims and how that gives you chills and I think that's it too um we want to stand up for those those people uh, we want to remember them and I think there's also an element and you and I were talking about this earlier the things women do to protect themselves there's also an element of learning I think you know when you you had that initial bit about this is what went wrong there you think well you know yeah. what what could I do what could I do then you know mm. And, um, you know, one of the things that a lot of the, the criminologists talk about is you never get in the car, no matter what's going on, even if they've got a knife, you just do not get in that car because nothing's yeah. going to happen. Nothing, nothing gonna, good is going to It's happen. not going to be that they're going to let you go later. Yeah. You know, mm. so, no, that's you know, really interesting. Things, things like that. Um, so there's, there's lots of elements that feed into it. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of it is just remembering those, those victims and honouring those victims. Yeah. And, yeah. 
absolutely stories. and i think we had a conversation when we talked about the school girl strangler about honoring and remembering those victims because what is frustrating is you look at tv shows or books or whatever and it always i'm not going to mention any of them but you always hear the perpetrator's name oh my goodness yes um and i think also when perpetrators get given uh, a moniker by mm. the media mm. um and they turn that, into rock stars yeah they, they turn into rock stars sickening. and they also turn into they turn into these faceless monsters so you know we we're talking about you know the nice guys and how could it possibly be that guy and if you call them a something or other ripper or a mr whatever and i, I don't want to try and use those kind yeah, of names i don't want to name them we, we don't want to do that um but you know um if you do that, then they become these these things. So that that nice guy in his his spectacles or with his neatly combed hair sitting next to you on the train couldn't possibly be him because he doesn't look like a a ripper or a Mister whatever. And so by by doing that, you take away that that aspect of people looking for for who those perpetrators really mm, are. Yeah. And we and we don't you know I mean those those guys that have you know multiple victims and. Um, I mean, even if we talk about Ned Kelly, you know, what are the names of the police officers that he murdered mm. at Stringy Bark Creek? You know, and I've asked that question at lots of lots of sort of, you know, book events, and it's the same. Everyone can tell you about Ned Kelly, but no one can tell you about those officers, and, yeah. and that's, that's a real tragedy. It is, absolutely. And when the media, you know, make those perpetrators as well, like turn them into rock stars or say how charismatic yes. they were or how good-looking they were or... It's just, it's horrible. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm, we're not seeing it as much now, but, you know, there's there's mm. often still that element of victim blaming too. Oh, yeah. you know, she was out clubbing. Um, she'd been drinking with friends. Um, sometimes there's that, there's still that, oh, my God, there's still that what was she wearing thing, you know, and, ugh. Yeah, I'm going to stop talking now before I swear. <laughs> Question that I always ask, Catherine, why do you write? I like words, Danny. I like playing with words. Um, I like the way they flow together, the cadence of them. I like finding that exact word. You know, I like that. Um, I think it was Stephen King who said there are no synonyms because there's only ever one perfect word oh, for your sentence. I love that. I know, right? I love that. And it's so true because when you do look into the thesaurus occasionally, you're like, oh, that's the word. So you're yes. right. That's yep. the word. There's no other word. Exactly. You never come up with like, oh, yeah, maybe X or Y. There's never mm. two choices in your thesaurus. It's like, oh. There it's it the is. one, that's isn't it? The one I needed. It's like yeah. the moment you meet the one. That's it. <laughs> we are very nerdy about our words. <laughs> but yes, that is exactly it. It's like, where have you been? I've been looking for you to put you right there in my sentence. <laughs> Out of my sentence. Absolutely. I love and, that. So and the other thing, the other reason I write is I have these stories buzzing in my head. So I have characters sitting there. It's a bit like a bad job interview where I have this waiting room full of characters and I kind of, kind of invite them in and say, so... What can you bring to the job? What are your what are your strengths and weaknesses? And <laughs> do they push that? each other out of the way and try and jump? Oh the my queue? goodness! Yes, they do. Mm. Yes, they do. So, it's, um, <laughs> bit of a okay. Welcome bit of a shuffle. Head. Welcome to my head, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> we should. That's another podcast episode. Yeah, I, I think, think it might be. That we'll, the whole podcast. We'll put the books aside. <laughs> Welcome to my head. I actually love that. That's a fantastic title. <laughs> And people tend to reveal a lot of things on this podcast. So, yeah, you know, you've yeah. been warned. Okay. You... <laughs> I okay. get a lot of messages the next day going, um, so that thing I said about this and that, could you delete that? Yeah. I, <laughs> look, 
some, someone asked me recently what I was working on and I said, oh, well, I, I'm working with this character and we, and it's like, oh, wait, perhaps we, I'm working with and we. So this is mm, not the best way to phrase this. It, it kind of feels like that, you know. <laughs> I love that. Well, as always, it's always a pleasure speaking to you, Catherine. I'm glad we've been able to catch up about this book and, you know, all these really important issues that, you know, I could probably and you could go on about forever, but we need to. We need to keep the conversation rolling and going. Thank you very much, Benny. It's been great talking to you again. And yes, always, always things to talk about.